When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello, welcome back to the Claret and Blue podcast. My name is Dan Rowlandson. I'm joined by Pat from PGR Analytics today. Pat, how are you, mate? You all right? Good, thank you. Good to be here yeah, again. Yeah, not too bad. It's uh, quite warm here today, so we'll try and get to this as quick as possible for yeah, overheat in this jumper. We're here to talk about Chelsea. Obviously, on the weekend, the international break is thankfully over at last. Uh, just quickly before we get into Premier League action, thoughts on the international break? Do you care? Did you even watch England? Uh, I was at a meal for one of them, but then I watched the, the first game and it was okay. It was the same thing with England. You're never really like impressed by the performance, mm-hmm. are you? It's just they go through the motions. I, I'm the Andorra game, we didn't play that great, but obviously the scoreline says a different story. And then, yeah, it qualifies, isn't it? It's not going to be uh, that exciting. Chelsea on the weekend, mm-hmm. kind of into the uh, out the frying pan into the fire this month, isn't it? Chelsea <laughs> twice in the league, in the cup, Everton and Man United. I think I shared the last time I spoke to him that this is kind of like the test for Villa to, to see where yeah. they are. Do you agree with that? Because I don't know whether I would do, because if we lose these games against the big sides... Yeah, it's not the well, end of the world because we're not expected to win. So I don't know whether I'm judging Villa too harshly if we lose them, but if we do perform well in these games, that probably does set the bar that Villa are uh, at this level rather than mm. struggling down down the bottom after the the opening month. I think it's going to be a clear indication of where we're at, to be honest, because obviously you've got the likes of Watkins, Bailey, and everyone coming back to full fitness. And the first few games, it was a new squad, and you saw the development as those games went along, like. The shots in Brentford, I feel like it was a and like Newcastle and Brentford was better than Watford, obviously. But yeah, I think I don't think anyone should be too disheartened if we lose three nil tomorrow. But I've got this weird sneaking suspicion that we're going to get something tomorrow. So that's my blind optimism as usual. <laughs> is any of that based on the fact that we beat them at the back end of last season, or is that two totally different things that they've got an eye on the Champions Leagues, obviously a different Villa and a different Chelsea, mm. or is it just blind faith? I think it's a bit of both, to be honest. I think the, it was the back end of the season. I think a lot of people are on holiday and had their eyes on the Champions League final and whatnot. But I also just think we haven't... This is going to be the first game where it might suit whatever style of play we want to we want to go for, really. like The first three games, we've had to kind of come onto teams and try and break them down. But this is going to be a game where Chelsea are going to dominate the majority of possession and... We might, with the pace of like Watkins and Bailey and whoever, whoever else, we might be able to damage them on the counter attack. We haven't really been able to see if this team can counter or anything. So, good yeah. suit us. You say we've not really seen this team counter, but I feel like we've not really seen this team. Yeah, um, the team. It's, really. it's three games. What for game? You pretty much right off by half time because we were so yeah. poor. Newcastle, we don't really have to get out of second gear by the time the second goal goes in as well. And then, yeah. and then Brentford was probably the the most difficult test in terms of the, the game itself. I'd, I'd say, but we've not seen what anyone yeah. would consider our best eleven yet. And honestly, yeah. we might not see them for another three or four weeks and there's another international break and we'll be back to square one with, with some of the players going off to international duty again as well. So 
I don't really know what Villa are yet this season. I don't know what we're going to be. I don't know what our style of play wants to be. I don't know who's. I don't know who is our best eleven because you look at Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins and think, well, they both have to play. But if they both play, I don't know what the rest of the, what the rest of the mm. system is. So you're the stats man. You've got the the analysis. What kind of eleven would you play? How should uh, Villa line up to get the best out of this squad? I've honestly been honestly been racking my brain. Looking, I'm so glad I don't have to make the decision and because it is ridiculous. But in my head, I'm thinking now it's come out that well, if Lukaku can start or whatever it is, and they play this three, three with like no five at the back, and then you got like two behind in behind Lukaku, and then Lukaku up top as like a false nine type dropping deep and like people running off him. But I think like if you want to keep Lukaku out of the game, you, this might be the game that you go. Three at the back with Twanzibi, Konza, and Mings, just like have all these physical halves with pace that can like compete with him. If, if like, do you want to say that? But then again, it's what midfield do you play with that? Do you play Sanson? Do you play Ramsey? Do you play Camber or Louise? Do we have anything going forward from that? But and then like Ings and Watkins up top if they work together. So that's the what I was edging towards, but obviously. I might get a bit of stick for that, but I'm not sure. We haven't really implemented we haven't implemented that and we haven't tried it in preseason, I don't think. And it's just I don't know, it's very it's very unknown. But I feel like you have to match up against Chelsea because they're gonna be the ones dominating this game. It's not like we can come in to Stamford Bridge and play them off the park. At least not so far anyway, the way we've been playing. Yeah, so it's a bold shout. I don't expect us to just go through at the back. I don't think we'll ever ever change that drastically for the opposition. I don't think we'll tweak things but but not not change from a from a four to a to a three. I saw her tweet yesterday. I can't remember which, which account it was from, but they're saying I'm oh, looking forward to seeing what Dean Smith says in his press conference tomorrow. And all the replies yeah. were like, "Why? What's the point? <laughs> we, we rarely learn anything anyway." And obviously, there's a, a bit of news that Watkins should be fit, which yeah, it's not a great word to see should in there. But I like to <laughs> hear him say, "Yeah, yeah, he's back." Bailey is fit and available, so you'd imagine he'll start. We'll come on to our starting eleven in a sec. Um, but there's still this uncertainty. You've got mm. McGinn and Jacob Ramsey are back from their COVID um, procedure or whatever the wording was. And it's all, are they fit, ready to start yeah, then? Yeah. There was no yeah. mention of Esri Conser, but there was a picture of him in training on Thursday, I think that was. So it's like, well, he's training, but is he fit to come straight back in play? So if he's not, we're not going to be seeing a three at the back that, that you've suggested. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Like, the press conference are fine and Villa don't have to come here and say, yeah, this is who's fit and available and give everything away. But as a fan, and when we were trying to do stuff like this, yeah, I've got to speak to our Chelsea uh, journalist colleague after this, and he'll say, "What kind of lineup will Villa play?" And I'll be like, "I don't know, really." <laughs> <laughs> the two that we don't for sure won't be playing are Martinez and Brendia. Mm. Uh, I don't know whether I spoke to you about this. I spoke to James when we last did a podcast, when before the international break, we were like, "Yeah, go go with our blessing, like the compromise with the club, fair play to you." And now yeah. after everything kicks off with Brazil and Argentina, you think, "Why can't they just stay?" Got all these Brazilian players being banned from playing in the Premier League this weekend. It's just a right mess, isn't it? I don't know what, what your thoughts were on that. And now, obviously, without our first-choice goalkeeper and uh, our creative outlet as well. I think I just read that they're going to... I think Premier League clubs have come out and said that they're just going to defy whatever ban was going to be put in place for South American players this weekend. I'm not sure if that applies to our players if they were here or just like Rafinha and the Brazilian players and everything. But it's just a mess, isn't it? No one actually knows what's going on. It feels like if you went to international duty, you got a ban. And if you didn't go to international duty, you got yeah. a ban. So I don't know how you win this like 
situation to be honest so yeah i've got no idea there's another break coming up in a month as well isn't there so we're going to be in this exact situation again if you go you have to come back and isolate which is what brendy and martin is a a training in croatia at the moment Hmm. whatever that means and they're they're back for the outing game um to get to get around the the protocols for for isolation so to move away from villa to a, a lesser extent how do we beat chelsea I don't know if you can stop Lukaku, to be honest, but I feel like you can just not make errors that make his life easy. So, like, mm. I remember watching him against Arsenal and I just felt like the centre-half was getting really tight to him. And, like, it's just easy for him to shrug you off then and he can just, like, play the ball after Mount or whoever's running off him. And then, obviously, the one for his goal, he just bulldozed the centre-half through the box and was just latched onto the end of a cross. So, I feel like if you track him... Just constantly have eyes on him, watch him constantly, and don't get too like tight to him. Which I think I can't remember who Mings was guilty of getting too tight to players on a few occasions last year, and then they just like whip it in. But yeah, <clears throat> they need to be switched on. But I do think having the physical presence of Mings might help that situation. Uh, who, I mean, I was going to say who are the other threats for Chelsea? But you across their whole squad, really. I think well, whoever they play, <laughs> you stop, you stop Lukaku, but you you got to deal with Havertz or whoever mm-hmm. else. So no, this no. is probably this is our, without doubt our most difficult game of the season so far. But I'm not the kind of fan that goes, oh Chelsea, that's going to be hard. Just roll that game off, no points because yeah. football worked like that. We we wouldn't play the game, would we? Now we're a bit of a bogey side for Chelsea, but yeah. growing up, I thought like the four fours and the two nil wins of the two and a half scoring against them. But yeah, I, it'd be boring if every game was set in stone like that. So I've, like I said previously, I've got blind optimism, thinking that we're going to go away away from home at Stamford Bridge on TV at the evening game, which we always perform so well on TV. <laughs> Talk to me about set pieces. You told me when we were organising this little preview. I've got some stats on set pieces for Chelsea, so fire yeah. them at me. How can we uh, tackle their set pieces? Because we're, we're, right, yeah. you know, we're, we're set piece specialists, basically. Yeah, we are. It's our only way of scoring. <laughs> <laughs> it's our only hope. Um, they've had conceded 14 shots from set pieces, which is the eighth most in the league. Obviously, eighth most isn't that bad, but for a team that's like challenging for the league, that's probably you could probably class it as a weakness. And then from this, they've had like accumulated 1.4 xG from it. So the opponents have added 1.4 xG from these shots, which is the fifth most in the league. So it kind of tells me that they are a bit susceptible to the set pieces. And then obviously you tie that in with. Uh, Austin McPhee coming into things and the two goals against Newcastle and I just think we look more threatening every single time we have one now to be honest mm. so if there is an area to exploit on this Chelsea team like, I think that could be the one especially with uh, Austin McPhee now in the fold So how exactly do we do that then? Is that just the guys are pushing forward and, and trying to win as many set pieces as possible <laughs> in the hope that we, that we score one of them? I think it'll be celebrating getting a throw in like it's a goal <laughs> <laughs> Try and pick a start in 11 for me then. If this was a side we were playing at home and it was a winnable game, you might be mm-hmm. going to play all these creative players, play that best 11, but you're only going away to Chelsea. You might not be able to put all, all those creative players in there anyway. Yeah. So, question one before you pick your 11, if Watkins is fit, does he come straight back in and start games for you? I think, especially in this one, he needs to, to be honest, because Chelsea are just going to dominate possession and just they build up so slow from the back. So like we, in terms of going forward and progressing the ball, we're the fastest team in the league. So that's like passing or just dribbling with the ball. It's two meters, 2.1 meters per second. And Chelsea are one meter per second, which I think is nine, no 19th in the league. So they just, they're just going to pass you to death. 
dominate possession, probably have 65% possession. And Watkins led the league in uh, pressures in the final third last season. And if you want someone that's going to be just relentlessly running at the opposition, forcing these areas while they're just passing it around the back, I just feel like that, as well as the runs he makes like and holds the ball up and brings Ings into play, he needs to play in this game, to be honest. Like, I don't think we're going to have much of the ball. And when we do, we need to make use of it. And I think Watkins is key to that. So he plays in the same side as Ings for you, like you just mentioned. Yeah. How does that work? Is that... Watkins as a nine with with things behind him as a as a ten effectively pushing off him, with mm. that Watkins out wide with with Ings as your main number nine. Well, Ings last season, I think in Southampton, it's like ninety percent of the time they played a four four two, so Ings is comfortable playing off someone in that kind of way. And like Watkins is a bit similar to Adams and they're like strong can like fend them fend for themselves against centre halves and quick and get in and around the box. So against a team that's not Chelsea, I'd be saying four four two and get Bailey and El Ghazi in on the wings or if or Triore if he's fit. But then you've got the issue of I don't think Bailey tracks back too much and I don't think El Ghazi does. So if you play four four two against Chelsea, that might cause problems because they'll just tear you to shreds in midfield and like with the pace they've got and trickery. So uh, <laughs> it's a very tough question to say how you sell this game. <laughs> I don't think it's so hard to say you want to play all your attacking players, like you said, and set up against Chelsea. It's just so difficult. I don't know how he's going to set up. I don't think we'll move away from three in midfield now. So if, if the yeah. fitness of the players is there <clears throat> after COVID, Louise, McGeehan and Ramsey as a three for yeah. me. And then you've got, I don't, I don't, don't know how you set up up front. I, I like you, you said, I do. That wide or I I, that's the only way in my head that it that it yeah. works. So if you're playing three in midfield, you can't really play a two up front unless you're yeah. playing a three at the back, which I don't see us doing. If we do play a three at the back, we're losing the wide men that we've got. You've got El Ghazi yeah. that is scoring goals at the moment. Bailey's your, your big signing to come in, and Brendio on the other side. Obviously, he's not yeah. available for tomorrow, but you'd think he starts every game when available as well. So. I don't really know how you fit those players in, which is the problem that Dean Smith has, will have to fix. And after a couple of games, we might all be going, oh yeah, Ollie Watkins is a left winger. <laughs> or Danny Ings is this player that, that plays plays a little deep and that's how it works. But as it stands, I don't know how you can play a three in midfield and Watkins and Ings together and have some any kind of balance. Like you said, I'm, I'm glad I don't have to make the decision. There'll probably be people watching this and, and, and happily I'll, I'll welcome your suggestions in the comments below. How do you... How do you set Villa up? How, how do you get the best out of them? Because Brendia, Bailey, Ings, Watkins probably all pretty much play when fit and available. That's four forward players mm-hmm. and very attacking forward players as well. And Villa don't do well with the two midfield. So how they all fit in, exactly. I don't know. Yeah, I've got no clue either. I was going to say the only other option would be a four-two-three-one with like Ings as like a, a ten maybe or Watkins out wide. But then again, then it poses the same issues you saw at Watford, which was we just get overrun and McGinn can't really operate in a two. And then you, you haven't even, we haven't even thought about Samson, <laughs> who's meant to be the number eight. I don't know where he slots in. He might be competing with Ramsey in a four-three-three. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they'll set up tomorrow. The final thing before we, we go over to Adam, um, are you worried about Jed Steer in goal? Obviously, Emmy Martinez no. has been number one now for the entire season. I think I saw a stat saying that it will only be uh, Jed Steer's third ever Premier League game. You just said there as I was talking, no, 
he confident yeah. in, in Steele? Uh, after his performance in the um, playoff final and the play- playoff yeah, semi-final. Two years ago, though. <laughs> I, I'm fine with it. I have I have full faith in it. He did go full Pepe Reina in pre-season, which I do remember. <laughs> but I will I will skim past that relatively fast. <laughs> but yeah, I do have confidence in him. I don't think he'll be taking any risks. There'll be no nonsense. We'll just clear the ball when we have it and it'll be fine. He can he can make a save when he needs to. And if, if they get a penalty, he's also a penalty specialist. So. It's fine. Well, that's given me a little bit of confidence. Uh, you said you started this by saying you got blind faith in Villa. So, what's your score prediction? Two-one uh, again. Same same score as last game of the season. I'd love to agree with you, but I just can't see it. So, I'm going to go with, with one all, and Villa get another draw, and and that be a, a good result against Chelsea. That are probably going to be in the top three. You'd, you'd have thought pretty much nailed on. So. 1-1 one, one for me, 2-1 for you. We'll see who's right come Saturday tea time. We'll be doing a podcast after the game. Um, me and Matt Kendrick, I believe, we're having a, a quick 20-minute chat after the game. But before we uh, end this episode, I'd like to cross over to Adam and myself, where I'll be asking him some questions about Chelsea and uh, how they think they can get the best of Villa and pretty much what, what they're worried about from Villa because it's, it's easy for us to sit here as Villa fans and go, oh, Chelsea, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about them. Maybe the Chelsea end are worried about us. So, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> don't smirk. So, Adam, thank you very much for joining us. You're part of our Reach Network at Assist the Title over at football.london. You've been covering Chelsea for uh, the best part of the, of the year. How are you finding it? Are you enjoying it? Yeah, I am, yeah. It's been, a, it's been a good period to cover the club. Um, yeah. Champions League win, Super Cup win. Um, yeah, it's, it's not been too bad. Uh, it's all downhill from here. Uh, hopefully, starting <laughs> from tomorrow. Um, well, we'll start with the Chelsea end. Then, how do you assess the job that that Tuchel's done that, since taking over from Lampard? Yeah, it's been absolutely remarkable what he's managed to achieve in such a short space of time. Um, obviously, with certain players, he's he's had a huge impact. The likes of Andreas Christensen, Antonio Rudiger, Jorginho. He's absolutely transformed their form. Um, have made all of them sort of indispensable to Chelsea. So. From that respect, he's been he's been fantastic for the club, and he's made Chelsea just a, a top top side again. Um, they're so well coached, so well structured. Um, they have a multitude of different threats. Um, yeah, it's it's impossible to say he's done sort of everything you expected and so much more. Um, he has definitely proven himself to be one of the the very best coaches in the world, and, and Chelsea are sort of fortunate to have got him at this point. Mm. Where he's learned from the experiences at Dortmund, where he fell out with people, he, he's learned from the experiences at PSG of, of handling people like Neymar and uh, and Mbappe and and sort of those egos in the dressing room. Um, so yeah, I say I think Chelsea have got him at the absolute perfect time. To be honest, obviously we played each other at last back in the last season, and Villa came out winners that day. But you know, it was the end of the season. You got eyes on the Champions League. I imagine we both agree that it will be a very different game tomorrow. It should be. I mean, that Villa game was was probably um, an important indicator of there was still a little bit of immaturity amongst this Chelsea team. Um, there were games where they would slip up in like that and they wouldn't necessarily uh, produce the level of performance that they, they had shown against the likes of Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid, Man City. There were these games where, where Chelsea would just suddenly drop off entirely. And, and this game tomorrow, I think, is going to be very interesting to see if if this squad has now matured, if the signing of, of Romelu Lukaku's helped take them to that other level where those performances just don't happen um, anymore. Chelsea have started the season well. They, they won the Super Cup, swatted aside uh, Palace and um, and Arsenal uh, and against Liverpool last time out. The second half performance was uh, almost the Chelsea of old in terms of how resolute uh, it was defensively to keep out Liverpool with 10 men at Anfield kicking towards mm. the cop. Um, 
that was perhaps a sign that the, yeah, this Chelsea are the real deal. Um, but I think tomorrow's game will actually be another indicator as, as to whether that is the case. Because if they can turn up from minute one and, and produce a performance, um, then that will be another sign that, yeah, this, this Chelsea team are now ready to challenge for the Premier League title again. Yeah, I don't know. You've obviously just won the Champions League. So I'm not going to sit here and, and actually stop winning. Isn't a, <laughs> isn't a new thing for Chelsea. But being title contenders is, is a new thing in comparison to, to years gone by. How do you think that will affect this season and the extra pressure that comes with competing at the at the very top of the league? Because before Lukaku, people would maybe just go, it's Man City or, or nothing really. Mm. Now Lukaku comes in and that changes that conversation that, that Chelsea are serious contenders for the title, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, the last time obviously Chelsea won the title was, was 2017 and they haven't really been close since then. Um, this is a, still a very new team. There's a lot of young players in it. Um, the Champions League win was huge in terms of uh, building that mentality of getting over the line in big games and, and winning the biggest trophies and um, it's made the rest of the squad very hungry for more. I think Romelu Lukaku signing was really important given uh, his mentality, the fact that he comes from a uh, a title win with Inter Milan last season, I think is really important. Um, and he is basically prepared, um, and he said this at his unveiling, he's prepared to take a lot of the pressure on um, mm. He's happy to accept the responsibility that he needs to score goals, that he needs to win games. And the hope is obviously that that in turn frees up other players, maybe mentally as well, to just step up their level of performance. You know, the likes of Kai Havertz and, and Mason Mount. And uh, I was going to say Timo Werner, but he's, he's still pretty much inconsistent with his finishing. So, um, um, but yeah, I would say it is, it's going to be an interesting season just because Chelsea do want to win the Premier League. They do want to try and retain the Champions League, but they're obviously... Also in the FA Cup, the League Cup, um, and in December the Club World Cup, so they've got a lot on their plate. Just on the on the Villa side, how do you assess the job that Dean Smith's done in, in the last couple of years? Um, I doubt you've seen much of Villa this season. We've only played three games, and to be fair, the chat we've just had before you've come on, I don't know what what, how, what that indicates of Villa this season. I don't think those three games prove what Villa are going to be heading heading forward because it's a very different side. Um, obviously, it's a very different side to last season without Jack Grealish. But from the outside looking in, how do you assess what, what Villa are potentially building here? Yeah, I find it very interesting. Um, obviously, the first season of backup was was primarily about staying up and um, Villa managed that just about. Um, and then last season was hugely impressive. Uh, you know, I thought he signed, Villa signed really well. Um, really like Ollie Watkins. I think he's, he's an excellent player. Um, and I guess this year is going to be about stepping up again. Um with a caveat that obviously losing Grealish was was huge. Um, I thought Villa sold him at the right point in terms of getting what they wanted and, and being able to reinvest. I like a lot of their signings. I think Leon Bailey is potentially, if he can be properly unlocked, a huge, huge player for, for Villa this season. Emi Buendia is obviously fantastic as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's hard not to have been impressed by the sort of evolution over the last two years. Um, I guess now the next step is almost proving that they can do it without Grealish and, and taking that next step without him. If we were doing this preview this time last season, we'd be saying, who, who's, who's the danger man? Who are you most scared of? And it'd be Jack Grealish by default, pretty much. It's not him now, and Villa is still gelling this season. But if you had to, to kind of single out one player that you'd be concerned about tomorrow, running at your defence, who is it? Um, I'd say Ollie Watkins. I, say, I, I think he's excellent. Um, I really like uh, his profile. I think his development is, is really interesting, the way he, he stepped up through the divisions. Um, obviously, with Danny Ings now in situ, he may not be the same uh, in terms of being the main man in, in that attack. I think Danny Ings is going to take a lot of that responsibility. But um, 
but yeah, I say I really like Ollie Watkins, so he would probably be the one who uh, who I'd be most fearful of almost. Back to Chelsea, how do you expect to line up tomorrow? Because there was doubts in the week about Lukaku. He's confirmed that he's fit now to play after a scan. I think uh, Kante is out as well. So just run me through the, the expected lineup that you think Chelsea will, will put out tomorrow for us. Thomas Tuchel looked bemused that there were even concerns about Romelu Lukaku. To be honest, when he was asked that question in the press conference today, um, but in terms of Chelsea, I think. We'll see Edu Mendy in goal. Um, I do think we'll see uh, the back three of Cesar Azpilicueta, Andres Christensen um, and Antonio Rudiger. Uh, there is still rumblings on that Thiago Silva could play and, and that's a bigger issue. Um, Reese James is suspended after being sent off against uh, Liverpool. So I expect Callum Hudson-Odoi plays at right wing back. The midfield two without Kante will almost certainly be Kovacic and Jorginho with Saul uh, coming off the bench. Left wing back is interesting. I think it might be Marcus Alonso, but Ben Chilwell uh, is pushing hard because he hasn't actually played yet this season. Um, and the front three will be Romelu Lukaku, Mason Mount, um, and another, which I'll probably say Kai Havertz, um, just because there were some real good signs against Liverpool that that three were, were really starting to gel. I spoke to Pat before you came on and I said, you know, how do we beat Chelsea? Is it, is it a case of stopping Lukaku? And he was kind of saying, well, it's not just about him. If we do manage to stop Lukaku... Somehow, <laughs> I don't know how we do that just yet. No, just like that, who is the, who's like the secondary danger man? Because he's the easy answer, isn't he? He's saying, well, you know, Lukaku is the main man there to stop, but it's not as simple as that when you're building a side that want to win the Premier League. No, I think the secondary danger for, for Chelsea has to be Kai Havertz. Um, last season wasn't that easy for him. His first in English football, uh, you know, moving over in the pandemic, he uh, he caught COVID quite badly. He then had an injury, um, mm. but I think the sort of last couple of months of, of last season you started to see what he could really become the Champions League final goal he scored was was hugely important for him he's spoken about that um, being really important for him I think mentally it's almost given him uh, a level of acceptance now at Chelsea he's, he's got this sort of stock in the bank he's always going to be associated with this huge moment for Chelsea I think that's actually going to help free him up a little bit this season um, in terms of his performances and then um, you saw kind of the the very threat he, he has. Uh, his header against Liverpool was like unbelievable header, um, but he's such an intelligent mover um, out of possession. He he finds space. Um, I think he's going to have a big season. So um, yeah, I would say definitely Havertz if it's not Lukaku. But um, that's not to diminish the threat of someone like a Mason Mount as well. I uh, don't assume Dean Smith is watching this podcast in the in the hotel this evening. But if he is, what's the what's Chelsea's weakness? Because I was saying at the at the back end of our Villa segment about ten minutes ago, maybe Chelsea are concerned about us. Maybe Chelsea are looking at some of our players and thinking, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about him." I was laughed out of the room uh, of the virtual room when I said that. Uh, <laughs> is, there, is there anyone that concerns you from from the Villa end? And and if there is, how do we break Chelsea down? How do we beat you essentially? Uh, I think there's always a slight concern with the midfield two of Jorginho um, and Mateo Kovacic that if you can get runners at them with the ball they can be exposed. Um, look, Jorginho has a lot of things. He's an excellent uh, progressor of play. He's really intelligent with his positional play and, and um, there's a load of, of positives to Jorginho, but he's not the most mobile and he's not the quickest across the ground. If you can get players running at him, they can beat him. Um, and mm. Mateo Kovacic, again, excellent footballer, technically fantastic, great dribbler, but his defensive awareness of what's behind him isn't always the best. Um, so when you've not got N'Golo Kante in that midfield, there is a bit less uh, protection. Um, so if you can get people running uh, at the Chelsea midfield and if you can get maybe someone behind Mateo Kovacic, 
then there are sort of spaces that you can't exploit. But the hardest thing here is obviously you've got to get the ball off Chelsea and, and under Tuchel they're very possession orientated and, and will try and dominate, especially in Stamford Bridge. Interesting. Last question. Um, score prediction. I'm always really bad at these whenever I do them. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to go. I'm going to go two on Chelsea. I think Chelsea will probably get an early goal. Villa fight back, um, but then Chelsea managed to get the job done. Well, hopefully you're wrong, um, Adam. Thank you very much <laughs> for coming on the Clark Blue Podcast. I really appreciate your time. No worries. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, and uh, may the best team win tomorrow. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue and Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. But until then, up the Villa. Up the Villa.